we get an opportunity today to start right there at baptism. You know, we watch 10 people get baptized. But I want you to take your mind and your heart to a place that was a couple of thousand years ago on the banks of a Jordan River. And on the banks of a Jordan River, there was a man named John, or in the Jordan River, there was a man named John the Baptist that was baptizing. He had already seen Jesus, which was his cousin, and declared that he was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And what he was declaring is that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And his purpose of coming, one of his primary purposes of coming was to redeem us once and for all. To fulfill all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And he's going to die on a cross. He is going to shed his blood for the remission and the payment of our sin debt. And then he's going to resurrect from the dead and conquer death and hell. And we know that Jesus did that, but that was not his only purpose. He come also to show us and give us examples of how to live as an obedient man in submission to the authority of the Father. And it's found here in baptism. Because there's two types of baptisms. And that's good, Hannah. Thank you for warming them up uh, to me and helping me get started on this sermon. Is there's two, when Jesus was baptized, there was two types of baptism. And he didn't need either one of them. So touch your neighbor and say, he didn't need either one of them. Because the first type of baptism is called proselyte baptism. It is when people from around the world wanted to start practicing Judaism and recognize that they are now going to convert to Judaism and they would come from all parts of the earth and that how that they would publicly confess that they were, they were going to now be a practicing Jew was they would be baptized in what they called a proselyte baptism. That means a Gentile would come and confess that he's going to be a now uh, practicing Jew and he would start practicing Judaism as a religion and he would be baptized. The problem is Jesus wasn't of another nationality. He was already Jewish. So he didn't need that. Tell your neighbor. He didn't need the first one. The second type of baptism is what is more common with the connection of the ministry of John the Baptist. And it's called the baptism of repentance. And what he was doing is he was coming to preach the kingdom of God and he was preaching with such passion and such anointing that it was convicting those of their sins and for them to turn away from those sins would be publicly confessed in the Jordan River as they were being baptized with the baptism of repentance. But Jesus was sinless and he had nothing to repent of so he didn't need the second one either. Touch them say, nah, I told you he didn't need either one of them. So why did he get baptized? There's the uh, scriptures associated with his baptism. Matthew chapter 3, it said, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John and to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized of him or by you, and, and, do not, and why do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Before I preach any further, let's just pray. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to now rest upon me as a servant that I might communicate more than just with my experience of communicating every week for 25 years. 
I would rather have the enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that makes your word come alive. So, Father, let it come alive in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we recognize that it is not because he needed either of the baptisms of the day. So what was it that made him, that drove him into the water? He was giving us an example of submission. He was submitting himself to being a man in obedience to the Heavenly Father. And it was going to be uh, uh, an example given to us because we were going to follow him in water baptism. And so he was going into the water as an obedient man, submitted to the Father. He didn't need repentance. He hadn't sinned. And he didn't need to become Jewish. He was already Jewish. But he was standing there in the middle of the Jordan River as a man acting in obedience to the Father. And the moment that John the Baptist submerged him under the water and he come forth, and there's a lot of things that I could bring in details. I've been to that spot. It's not glamorous. Matter of fact, it's a land, it's a land field, it's a minefield uh, full of landmines. It's actually you, it's just a little bitty river about the size of this uh, building, the width of this building, and on the other side's the nation of Jordan. It's not pretty, it's not glamorous, the water's muddy, but yet in that moment, standing in the middle of that muddy water as a man in obedience to the Father, heavens opened. And he was enabled by the Holy Spirit. At that moment, heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And not only did he be enabled, uh, he uh, had the opportunity to be enabled by the Holy Spirit, but at that very moment, he heard the affirming words of the Father say, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And you would have thought lightning would have flashed, thunder would have rolled, and he would have started preaching conferences. No. See, when you get enabled by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will drive you into a place of obedience and that place of obedience will end up getting you to a, a spot, a destination called submission. Submission can only be uh, measured sometimes when we disagree. It's, it's not hard to submit when both of you agree. Can you agree? You know, but when you and your spouse may be seeing different views and different perspectives, submission means that one of you is going to say, I'm going to prefer your view. Okay, that's the only way you can measure submission. So we would have thought that he would have started preaching conferences at that moment and just going about and doing the flash of the lightning and the rolls of the thunder and God would have been just performing miracle after miracle through his obedience. But you know what? The first place the Holy Spirit drives him is to the wilderness. For the next 40 days and 40 nights, he's going to be tempted. He's going to fast. He's not going to have any food for 40 days. It's going to bring him to the point of weakness. The Bible declares that he was weak at the end of the 40 days. Now, here's another touch your neighbor moment. Some people think that the devil is all-knowing. He is not. If he was all-knowing, he'd have never tried to conspire to put Jesus on a cross and kill him. Amen? So he's not all-knowing, but he's not dumb either. See, he didn't come to tempt him on the second day he didn't eat. He waited until his flesh was weak. 40 days. At the 40th day, he shows up and all of a sudden he, he starts with the first temptation, which was a temptation to allow his flesh to rule his life. And he says, hey, I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Why don't you just do this? Do a magic trick. Take those rocks in front of you and make them bread. He, he responds with the authority of the word of God giving us another example of how to handle temptation. You don't handle your temptation through just your intellect. You don't, dis you don't dispose of your intellect, but you can't handle some temptations with just your intellect. Some temptations, you need the authority of God's Word living in your life to give you the boundaries and the guardrails that your life needs so you don't go off the cliff. Somebody say amen. 
The second temptation is he takes him up to the top of the temple and he tells him, he says, you know what, this is another giving us an example of what's coming in our life because I'm going to speak prophetically right here and it doesn't take much of a prophet to do this, but here it is. Every single person under the sound of my voice will meet the challenge of temptation in your life. I promise. How many of you have already been tempted? Say amen. And if you have, Miss Yvette said this morning... (laughs) The second one, he takes him up there and he says, he even quotes scripture. See, if you don't know the word of God, it can be distorted when somebody quotes half the word of God. And so the enemy comes and says, well, you're supposed to be the Messiah. Psalms 91 says that your foot will not even be dashed upon a rock. So throw yourself off the temple and let's see the angels show up and rescue you. He responds with the word of God and said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's He's basically saying, why would I want to jump off of this? just to prove to you that I'm the Son of God. Now, I did not practice such discipline when I went up 13,000 feet in an airplane. I don't know why anybody would want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but I did. 13,000 feet, man. And, you know, I, I will admit that there was that moment about the time I let go of that wing and fell out into nothing but air. I said, why would you do this? <laughs> but then the third temptation was... I got away. See, Jose come about a year or so ago and preached to us about the inheritance of Jesus as the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world, the Lamb of God, inheriting the the nations of the world. And the devil comes to him in the third temptation and says, you know what, I tell you what we'll do. I'll give you your destiny, but you can have it without pain. I'll give it to you without the cross. The problem is, is you don't have to shed your blood. You don't have to go through the pain. The problem is you've got to kneel down and worship me. And again, he resists the temptation. And now you've had him baptized with being an example of obedience. Now he's walking through temptation without sin, giving us an opportunity as an example to see the authority and the power of the word of God active in our life to overcome temptation. And you would have thought then, lightning, thunder, conferences. No. The angels come and minister to him and he's going to go on his first speaking engagement and his first speaking engagement is just a little old synagogue. And inside of the synagogue, he opens up. How many of you have ever realized that God's timing is perfect? Even though it sometimes doesn't correlate with your timing, that God knows more than you. Touch your neighbor and say that. God knows more than you. Because can you imagine that he's coming down the the mountain, through the wilderness, going to the synagogue on the Sabbath where his fast is over. They're going to stand up and declare the the scroll from the prophet of Isaiah chapter 61, the prophetic messianic prophecy. And they're about to declare it. And he said, I'll read that today. He goes from the Jordan River to the mountaintop in the wilderness, being tempted, overcoming temptation with the authority of the Word of God. Now the Word of God is introduced. And he says, and he reads Isaiah 61, and it says this. This is uh, the the quote from Luke chapter 4 of this event. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
her. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He rolls up Isaiah 61, hands it back and says, I'm not only reading it, but I'm telling you I'm the guy that they're talking about. And from this day forward, I'm going to act in the authority of Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah 61 is what I call pleasant theology, what I call the, transfer, uh, the transferring or the transaction chapter. It's where you get to exchange some things, like you get to exchange uh, ashes for beauty, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It goes on to tell you that the, through the prophet prophesying when the Messiah comes, he was going to be able to rebuild ruined and devastated cities in a moment. And all of a sudden he says, "Not we've been waiting for the Messiah to show up for thousands of years. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm not just telling you I'm him, but I'm going to start acting like him from this moment forward. Somebody say amen. See, this is important to us. He goes from the Jordan River to the desert. In the desert, he gets tempted. He overcomes temptation by the word of God. He goes and now takes the word of God and says, we've been waiting for the Messiah to come. I'm him, and now let's go do business. Here's the fun part of this whole sermon. This guy starts walking out of the synagogue. Some people, we've, we've lived for 33 years as Covenant Community Ministries in the association with Pastor Tom Sturbins, which was the founder of the church. He pastored for 16 years, founding the church on Isaiah 61. I've been here 17 years. That equals 33 years to the community. We've been proclaiming the, the, the power and the authority of the anointing of Isaiah 61 that says you can have transformation through Christ. But we had to learn how to do it. See, we talked about the captive. But man, when Pastor Tom come last uh, Father's Day, he said, you know what? We got, to, we got to proclaim it almost as a prophetic voice, but you guys are doing it. It is when we show up on Tuesday and look in the eyes of somebody that considers themselves homeless and they pass through a, 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 a line that gives them and provides them breakfast and allows us to get, provide for them a moment where they can take a shower and get some rest. But you know what happens on Tuesday and Wednesday? We do laundry. It, we started on Tuesday, we end on Wednesday. How many ladies are going to help me preach this part right here? You know it's hard to wash somebody else's underwear. And you guys ought to be amen and louder than that because how hard is it for your spouse, your husband, not to just get them to the, the, the hamper, more or less, do them. And now they're going to do laundry for somebody else? Come on now. But we believe that when we stick that, those underwear in a, in a washing machine, that we get an opportunity to look at the name on a trash bag and we get to start praying the authority of Isaiah 61 because now the same spirit that rests upon Jesus that resurrected him from the dead now lives in me. And so I can start pro proclaiming the things that are listed in Isaiah 61. And that's important because a lot of our, our homeless community are bound by addictions. And it gives us an opportunity to say, in the name of Jesus, we declare that the, the, the chains of addiction shall be broken by the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the gospel engaged in their life. And we get to do that every single week. That's exciting. But I didn't come up with this idea. No, the one that told you that he was Isaiah 61 did. See, 
he goes from this synagogue and then goes starts doing ministry. One of those ministry stops is in front of a big old crowd of people and he's doing all this stuff and a big crowd's gathering and then he tells his disciples, let's get in the boat. He gets into a boat, they start rowing to the other side. He's tired from ministry. He goes to sleep. They get into the middle of this lake and all of a sudden a storm blows up. Wind waves start happening. The boat starts to sink. They panic. How many of you have ever panicked after you got saved? Say amen. Yeah, if you're standing by somebody didn't say, or sitting next to somebody didn't say, man, I'd worry about them. You know, because sometimes life throws you a curve, man, and you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Holy Spirit's telling you, you, you got it. We, we're with you. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you got us. And all of a sudden, they come down there. They wake him up. Don't you care about us? Anybody ever started a prayer like that? Don't you care about me? I'm your guy. I've prayed that a thousand times. I don't know why I'm in such a mess. I'm doing your work. And all of a sudden, the, the, the disciples come down. And, don't you care about us? We're all about to die. We're sinking. He's like, what? You know I'm Isaiah 61. He goes to the bow of the boat, looks into the wind and the waves, and speaks, peace be still. And they are amazed. Why are you amazed? He told you who he was. And they're murmuring back and forth going, this dude just talked to the wind and the waves and they had to listen to him. This is incredible. And I could stop preaching right there and we could all come and have a good time. But, he, he, you know, if it was modern day, he'd look at his watch and say, man, I'm about 15 minutes. I got an appointment over there. I'm, I'm, I'm in a hurry to get there. Start, don't worry about, you thought you were dying. Just keep paddling, man. I got to get to the other side of the lake. Because do you realize that Jesus was paddling them, making them paddle that boat to the other side of the lake for one guy? And here's the hope. It was a guy that the world had given up hope on. He was hopeless. Nothing worked. And the moment that the boat hit the shore, Jesus steps off and out of the... They must have been near the tombs because out of the tombs run this guy. He has no clothes on. He's kind of a little shady, a little sketchy and you know he probably looks like a wolf man he probably isn't kept and I mean wonder what broke this dude what makes you go and just say hey I'm gonna go live in the tombs wonder if his marriage fell apart what was it the Bible doesn't say let's just speculate let's just have a little fun for two more minutes what was it? Did he lose his job? Did he get addicted? What was it that broke him so much that he is now in a position to where he is allowed and, and submitted himself to being possessed by 6,000 demons and living in the graves, in the tombs? And the Bible says this about him. He would take sharp rocks and cut himself and scream. Now, how would you like to go meet that dude? Ah, no, I don't. I, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? The Bible says he ran to Jesus and fell down at his feet. See, because when all hope is gone and you see hope, even though it looks like a little glimmer, you'll run to it. And he saw, he saw Isaiah 61 stepping off of a boat and spiritually something inside of him rang an alarm bell and said, you've got to get to that guy if you want any help at all. Because sometimes we go about trying to fix people through good ideas and good intentions. See, the community was worried about this guy. 
They tried to help him. See, they thought that his need was, we got to get him under control. And if we can get him under control, then maybe he could get some of his mind back. No, his issue wasn't control, because the Bible says that the community would rally around him, capture him, put chains and ropes on him, and try to put clothes on him. They thought that if we could just control him, that that would, meet the, 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 that would help him spring forth into a new life. But some people don't need good intentions. They need delivered. Amen. Some people need to get saved. Your good thoughts aren't going to get you through. Some people need the authority of the Bible to come alive in them and that for people to quit telling them everything goes and you'll end up in heaven eventually and they're going through hell right now. Why don't we deal with the darkness in people's life because I'm going to go on record to say this. There should not be a Christian in this building that is afraid of the devil. Because the Bible, this book here says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Turn the TV off when the, 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 movie, the cheap, bad-made movies come on about demon possession and them jerking you under the bed or into the closet. I, one day I'm going to get jerked in the closet and we're going to figure this thing out. Because I believe by about halfway into the closet I'm going to start speaking in another language and exercise the authority that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has now allowed me to speak to one of those things. And then you say, well, Pastor, that's awful arrogant. I'm just going by my example. Okay? Because Jesus was a trash talker. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get two emails for that. <laughs> what do you call it, man? When you are in competition with somebody, anybody ever played any basketball and you just kind of cross them over and just shoot one in their eye? I used to, when they would try to block it and miss it, and they'd go, I knew it was going in when it left my hand. I'd go fly. Just swinging, you know. And that's called trash talk. I like how Jesus trash talks. He just comes up and says, hey, I could have delivered you from the other side of the of the lake and I could have done it when the storm drew up and I, we didn't have to paddle anymore I could have just said it and done it but let me just trash talk here a little bit what's your name oh my name is legion for we are many legion is a military term meaning 6,000 so there's 6,000 of you living in this dude but I'm going to deliver him today see it didn't matter if it was 600 six. 6,006 million. Isaiah 61 was standing on a shore on the other side of the lake and he wanted to exercise. When they said six, when this dude would start to talk in crazy talk like that, the villagers would scatter. But he is now confronted one that he, they know who he is. And the moment that he doesn't run in fear and says, I've been sent. This is my appointment today. Crazy guy living in the tombs, cutting himself, screaming. He's on my agenda. I'm going to Isaiah 61 him and they start begging don't send us to the abyss don't please don't send us to the abyss you know can we go in the pigs and again Jesus goes yeah go in the pigs I found out that if pigs get 6,000 demons they go crazy and jump off a cliff they jump off the cliff into the water Boof. and for the first time at the moment of deliverance where Isaiah 61 come alive in the hearts of a man that was without hope. They had given up on him. That hope showed up and found him where no one else could find him. And at that moment, Amy, if you'll get ready to play me something, 
at that moment, this man's life was transformed. Remember Isaiah 61 is the transformational chapter, the exchange. He exchanged being demon-possessed to being clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being discipled. The city is more concerned about their pigs than they are him. They come out because somebody said, all the pigs run off the cliff. And they're running out there like, oh my goodness, we're pig farmers. What happened to our pigs? Oh, the things that were living in the guy got in the pigs. Well, we don't want that to happen anymore. Can you go back over onto the other side? That's tragic. See, churches are supposed to be houses of prayer. And I don't want to get on a soapbox and, you know. But man, a lot of times we've become places for Christian entertainment. And when the devil, you know, when people that really need the house of prayer show up, we call them weird. Where else will we, can weird people go? Where are they going to get Isaiah 61 if they can't get it here? You know, how about the people that we think are too far gone? The, you know, the people you pass sometimes or maybe they're members of your family. They, they, you've tried everything and we've given them money, Pastor, and they just keep over and over making the same mistakes. Well, maybe this is the time where somebody gets anointed wherever they are in rehab and you say, well, Pastor, they've gone through it 15 times. What good 16 times? Because maybe somebody is going to stand up with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and say, we break those chains in the name of Jesus. And he starts to, this is the crazy, this is the best part, is that Jesus, the one that got baptized to get anointed by the Holy Spirit, to go face temptation, to overcome temptation, now to go on a mission to do Isaiah 61, and he goes to a guy nobody else would even go to. He didn't even go to a crowd, he just went to one dude living in a tomb, possessed. And now he's delivered, set free, and now he's in his right mind. And they tell the villagers, tell Jesus, we're scared of you. Will you please go back to the other side? And he's like, can I go with you, please? Can I go with you? He said, oh, no, no, no. No, I, I can't let you go with me. But what I can do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a mission. Go tell all of your family and all of your friends what happened to you. And the Bible picks up this story. In ver I think it's verse 19, 20, and 21. I got it written down here. I might as well just preach it the way I got it on here. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how his mercy has been extended to you. So he tells him, Go home. Go tell your family and your friends. This dude took him literally. He must have knew a lot of people at one time before he was broken. Because he goes home and tells all of his family and friends. And the next verse said, he went to the ten major cities of the Decapolis. That means he went from city to city, at least ten cities. And he would publish his testimony. And he would stand there and declare, have you ever heard of the crazy guy that lived in the tombs? The one that would walk around in, uh, half out of his mind, possessed by 6,000 demonic spirits that would cut himself and scream and everybody was terrified of him. And everybody heard the stories about him. I am that man. And I am that man. And the only reason I'm not still living there is Isaiah 61 showed up and got on the shore with me and allowed me to come and be get at his feet and by the time that he had finished doing what only he could do then I stood in the condition that I am now transformed by the power of God 
Come on, folks. What is like? What is in your life that looks like this man? Don't act like you've always been saved. Sometimes it's your emotions. Sometimes you're like a roller coaster up and down, out of control. One day you're good, the next day you're going off the deep end. And your life looks kind of like this guy. There is an Isaiah 61 God still here today. He will meet with you. It may be your marriage. Your marriage may look like it's out of control. Your marriage may look like it's dead, living in the tombs. But all it takes is Isaiah 61 Jesus to show up and get in close proximity to you. And the authority of the kingdom can come alive in you and your marriage can be better than it's ever been before. Somebody say amen. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe there's something going on in you that you just think you're broken and it's never going to be changed and you're hopeless. How can you be more hopeless than this man where everybody had given up on him? They had tried, but they were trying to touch him with man's hand. And I'm here to tell you, if, you, if you're ever in a church where they're trying to touch you with just the mere hand of a man, run. Because we're here to tell you the only reason we touch you is because we believe our hand is a representation of God's hand. And we are anointed, been praying for you all week. And we believe that the same anointing that rests on Him now rests on us. What is it that can be miraculously changed today in your life? Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you have habitual sin in your life. Maybe it's one of those things where you never thought you were, could get saved. I've had thousands of people over the years ask me, Pastor, I think I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I've said some bad things about God. I know He's mad at me, and I don't think I can be saved. If you didn't, couldn't be saved, you wouldn't want to get saved. But if you have a desire to get saved, you ain't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Just come find Him. He'll find you. wonder what could happen today right here. wonder what could be restored wonder what could be fixed wonder who could get their life back and we get to see it so let's close our eyes for a moment and let's let Amy set the mood in an act of worship that allows us to see Jesus of Isaiah 61